you've um, been around for the last few weeks, you'll know that we've been in this series that we've called um, Come to the Table. Um, we've been looking at it over this, um, this season of Lent leading up to Easter, which is in a couple of weeks' time. And we've been reflecting on taking a look what it means um, to come into God's presence at the table of communion. And just, just trying to remember that when we receive the bread and the cup, um, we can reflect on what Jesus did for us. On the cross, we have the opportunity to come into his presence and we can be reminded um, of what this act of communion actually says about God's character. So, like I said, over the last few weeks, various people have come. I'm thoroughly confused as to where we are in the series because some people have been speaking here in Wellenborough and stuff. But if you haven't, um, if you've missed a couple of weeks, then I'd encourage you to look on the website. The, um, they should be up. I don't think last week's is up yet because Steve's away. Um, but it will be up soon, probably with this one. Um, but yeah, if you haven't listened, I'd encourage you to go and listen. And at the end of the service, just like we've been doing every week, um, we'll be taking communion together. Um, so this week, we're going to be looking at what it means to pursue God's justice um, and how this holy act of sharing the bread and the wine together can remind us um, the part that we play in God's plan to bring justice to the poor and the widows and the orphans. And so we'll look at how Jesus is the ultimate example of how we are called to recklessly sow God's justice everywhere that we operate, whether it's uh, um, in our work life, in our church life, or just every, every day when we're out and about. And whenever we take God's communion, that's a challenge to us, just to remind us that we're part of God's plan in restoring his justice to the earth. You see, communion not only shows us how we're reconciled with God, but it also shows us how we become reconciled with each other. So if you've got your Bibles um, this morning and you want to turn to Matthew 25, 34 to 46, it'll be on the screens as well. But if you've got a Bible, you might want to check that. I'm just not making it up. Um, And we're going to read this and then we will pray and then I'll continue. So it said... So it says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and the demons. For I was hungry, and you did not feed me. I was thirsty, and you did not give me a drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked, and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger or naked, or sick or in prison, and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are refusing to help me. And they will go away into the eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. So if we carry on, we'll just pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that we can come um, into your presence this morning. We just pray, Lord, that um, the words that you have to say to us this morning will just um, 
going deep, that you'll just remind us of the part that we get to play in the restoration of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So, as a society, we love this idea of justice. All you have to do is go through Amazon and Netflix um, and flick through, you know, iPlayer and all those kind of things, and you'll just see box sets and TV shows and documentaries all about justice. Um, There's programs about court, there's programs about judges, there's programs about murder and people getting, you know, caught for crimes and stuff like that. And these kind of shows are really, really enjoyed in our house. The only difference is I like the ones that are based in reality, so I like the documentaries and all those kind of things. And you like the ones that are made up, and as far as I can tell, are completely so far-fetched, it's not worth watching. So that's why, that's why we never watch um, much TV together. But anyway, one of my guilty pleasures is a show called Dog the Bounty Hunter, this guy. A lot of people say he looks a lot like me. <laughs> we, do, we do share a birthday, actually, as a... Fact. Um, but if you've never watched, hands up if you've ever seen Dog the Bounty Hunter. There are a few. If you haven't, you need to go home and you need to watch it. But if you're unfamiliar with it, basically this guy is a bounty hunter um, in America. It's true, it's a, it's a real thing. It's not made up. Like I said, I don't watch made up programs. Um, but he basically, him and his family, they live in Hawaii, but they also do stuff in Colorado. And when someone skips bail, these guys basically are tasked with going to find them. Um, and they do that with a variety of methods. They drive around in these huge blackout, blacked out cars. And they don't use real guns, but they've got like rubber bullets and mace and stuff like that. Um, they always start off with a prayer, which is hilarious, because they all stand in a circle, you know, and pray together. And then it all ends up in, you know, someone getting shot with a rubber bullet or, you know, there's generally a bit of swearing. Um, but I love it. Um, <laughs> but it always ends up with the bad guy getting caught and locked up, and then, you know, Dog will always give them a bit of a pep talk about how they should turn their life around and stuff like that, but it's brilliant. So go home and watch it. Um, but anyway, we love to think of the world in good guys and bad guys. We like to know where everyone fits into the big picture. We like to know who's right and who's wrong, um, and who we're for and who we're against. And we find it gratifying when we hear that people who have done something wrong are finally getting what they deserve. And many of us will have strong opinions of what justice is and what people deserve when they do something wrong. And so why do I say this? Why do I get a picture of Dog the Bounty Hunter in? Well, one, because I've always wanted to get Dog the Bounty Hunter into a sermon. Um, I, did, I tried to do it once and Andy told me to take it out. Um, but secondly, when we look at this topic of justice, I'm conscious that there are various different kinds of justice that we can look at. Um, there can be legal justice, which in this is, this is the case, or economic justice, distributive justice, political justice, and many others. And in all these different types of um, justices, there'll be hundreds of specific examples and nuances and that kind of thing um, that we could focus on. But this morning, um, we're going to look at justice according to the kingdom of God, um, and specifically the character of God and the call of the church. Because I believe if we allow these two things, um, if we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us on these, these two things, then all of the specifics that we can think about can f will fall into place. So my job this morning is not to tell you what to think or who's wrong or who's right or whether to show a particular person justice or not. 
Um, or to tell you what I think is right and wrong in the world. If you want to know what I think is right and wrong in the world, then take me to the pub. Case shaking the head. Take me to the pub, buy me a pint, and I'll gladly tell you what I think is wrong and right in the world. Um, but what, what I want us to try and do is view, um, try and view all this through this lens of the table that we've been looking at over the last few weeks and how communion table is a place for us to come and search our hearts, to reflect on our own character, to remember what Jesus came and did for us and what that tells us about um, the character of God. And to help us remember that when we come and receive um, the bread and the wine, that we're called to remember what Jesus said when we first, in that Bible verse that we read earlier, that says, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So as I've just said, we can look at, we can think, when we think of justice in our culture, um, we can easily think of all those TV shows and movies and books and all sorts of things with these good guys and bad guys and the wrong and the right. And this is a system that's built on um, retribution and restu- restitution. Easy for you to say. When one person somehow wrongs another person, justice needs to be done. And ideally with a punishment or payment, and sometimes both. So I'll give you an example. Pick Paul, because he's sat on the front row. Might want to move the second service. Um, so imagine Paul and I getting some kind of argument, um, as Paul has a tendency of doing. It's quite argumentative. <laughs> and I said, this, I said something to him, and then he said something back to me, and then I said something back to him, and then he said something to me. And then he gets all rolled up like he does. He has a habit of doing, getting all puffed up. And he went outside, found my car, and slashed my tyres. Yeah, yeah. As, again, he has a tendency of doing. <laughs> I'd have thought most of us in the room would agree that he now, some, somehow, he needs to make that better. He needs to um, pay for the damage that he's caused. He needs to pay for new tyres. Actually, do me a favour, Paul, if you slash my tyres, because I do need two new tyres. Um, but he would then somehow have to pay to get that, to make it right again. This is restitution. But what if the story stopped there? I think if that's as far as it went, a lot of us here would think justice hadn't been done um, because all he's done is given me the tyres in an unslashed state, which they were before he slashed them. They've just made things right again. Um, we would sometimes agree that there'd be, need to be another punishment um, you know, he would ideally get locked up for a long, long time, so he couldn't do it again. Um, and more often than not, what we're looking for is re- retribution. And there needs to be some kind of consequence or punishment for what he did, not only just making it right, but some kind of punishment. We might not agree on the price or the punishment, but in society, we generally agree that someone needs to pay twice for something when they do something wrong. That, that I get my money and that he gets a punishment. And this is our default position um, on how justice works. And, it's the kind, and this is the kind of justice that's rooted in judgment. This kind of justice demands that it's one against the other. There's a victim and a perpetrator. Someone who was right and someone who was wrong. Otherwise, the whole system collapses. And this model of justice places a really high priority on fairness and that everyone gets what they deserve. It says that good behaviour should be rewarded and bad behaviour should be punished. And this definition of justice is so ingrained in us culturally that it can be very difficult for us not to automatically apply that to everything else, including sometimes our interpretation of God and the interpretation of Scripture. 
So what if we were to read the Bible through this lens um, of retribution and restitution? The story would be completely different, but it's often the story that people, people sometimes read. The narrative may go something like this. In the beginning, God created man and woman, and he was pleased, and everything was good. They lived, they lived with, right with God and all creation. But then man and woman disobeyed God, and they so offended the holy nature of God that God kicked them out of the garden and everything that was good and beautiful and right. And he told them not to come back until they'd cleaned themselves up. And then further down the line, as humans continued to live outside of all God had made right and beautiful and holy, he would forgive us, but there was no way we could earn that forgiveness on our own. So we sent Jesus, the nice one of the Trinity, to come down, and he was nice to us, and he took care of us, and Jesus would come to take our punishment, our penalty that we deserved, and to settle this dispute that we had with God, and so we could get back on God's good side. And then when that was done, instead of being condemned for all eternity, he's invited us to be, come back to him, and go, when, at some point when we die, we'll get to go to heaven. If we read it through the story through the, that first lens, that can sometimes be the interpretation, interpretation we come to, that humans were good, humans turned bad, God kicked us out, Jesus came and died to appease an angry God, and if we believe in him just enough, then we can have a nice life and go to heaven when we die. This is common interpretation that we can sometimes come to or fall into. But what if there was an alternative worth considering? Because there's some things with this interpretation that don't line up with the character of God that I see in Jesus. And just as a point here, what thing to remember is that if we talk about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit as one God, we can sometimes be guilty of separating those out and saying that there's this Old Testament God and there's this New Testament Jesus. But we need to remember that if the character, and, and, and sorry, and the, the, all, the character of them is all a little bit different, but if we believe they are all the same, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, then the character of one must be the character of all of them. Which is why the idea of the story about retribution is a little bit out of place for me. But what if we looked at the story in a, compl- in a different way, but this time with a lens of restorative justice? We might be inclined to interpret it a little like this that God didn't punish Adam and Eve. Um, out of the garden. But in fact, as the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 59, it says, your sins have cut you off from God. So notice it says, your sins have cut you off from God. Not, God hasn't separated himself from us, but it's our sin that has got in the way. He says that the sins have hidden his face from you. He's not removed himself. God hasn't removed himself from the situation. He's still there, but we've just got this barrier up. And this is exactly what happened in the garden, the great lie, the great deception that the enemy continues to tell us, that brings us to a place that causes us to question again and again the character of God. We assume that God changed in that moment when sin came in, that he became full of wrath and retribution. But this isn't justice according to the kingdom. Kingdom justice is steeped in a deep, compassionate, father-heart love for his creation. This isn't retribution. He hasn't been waiting since the dawn of time, the beginning of mankind, to make us pay for our sin. So what if we begin to read this story without this assumption of retribution? All of a sudden, we no longer see an angry God or punishing God. We see a God come and gently speak to Adam and Eve and say, don't you see, everything with me was good and holy and whole. Everything in me is complete in the way it should be. 
I've not changed, I haven't gone anywhere, but you've made choices that you've turned away from the best I have for you. You knew what you were doing and you were ashamed. You've hidden yourself from me and you've distanced yourself. So now you've altered this relationship that we've got. You've placed yourself under a new authority. And this isn't punishment, this is a consequence. It's a natural consequence of what happens when you are no longer with me. Adam and Eve placed themselves at a distance from God and they said, I can make this on my own. I can, I, I can do this on my own. And then they've lived with the consequence of their choices, as many still do today on a daily basis. And I can picture God saying, this life of shame and sin is not the kingdom that I intended for you. It's not what I created you for. However, I'm not going to allow it to end like this. And from that very moment in the garden, God was already putting into motion his plan to make things right, to restore. So this restorative justice is the justice of God. Justice according to the kingdom is making things right again. And this version of justice speaks to the depth of God's character. It speaks to who he is and why he is so worthy of our praise. You see, Jesus didn't come and die in, uh, come in flesh and die a horrific death on the cross to rescue us from a bad side of a vengeful God. Jesus came to rescue us from the kingdom of darkness that ensnares and enslaves people and seeks to destroy everything that God has made lovely and beautiful and good and holy in the world. That is what Jesus came to do on the cross, and this is what we're called to remember at the table of communion. Jesus came to overthrow the lies that we were told about God's character. He came to restore us back to a right understanding of who he is so that we can experience the fullness of right relationship with him and all that brings. It's through the cross that um, Jesus does this, and this is a massive deal. And we must, The cross is a huge deal, and we must never forget that. However, the cross is not the last chapter of the story. If this was a story about retribution, of anger, of an angry, vengeful God, then it probably could just end there. It would have accomplished, everything would have been accomplished if that was the plan. It was where the penalty would have been paid, where the punishment would have been fulfilled. But that, that is not how the story ends. So what happens next? Resurrection. You see, the cross is part of a much larger narrative. If anything, the cross is more like the beginning of the story of restoration, not the end. It's the foundation, it's the beginning. It begins with Jesus' resurrection, and ultimately where this thing is going is the kingdom being fulfilled in a new heaven and a new earth where everything is made new and beautiful again. So if retributive justice is about making things fair, restorative justice is about making things right. You see, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. His death and resurrection just didn't pay for our sin. It made a way for our dead-end lives, ruled by the authority of self, um, to turn to him, to be united with him again, to be alive in a way that we've never known life before. See, the resurrection is love, it is grace, and it is undeserved restoration. See, in God's kingdom... Justice is rooted in mercy. So we read in Romans 8, um, Paul wrote Romans 8, not this Paul, a different one. Um, 
that God works for our good, that he made a plan for our rescue and our release, that he chose us and he called us to be with him and that he is for us and that we cannot be separated from his love and he fights for us. God is always for us and never against us. But sometimes it can feel a little bit different. We can look around and we can see that it just looks like God must be against us. We look around our, in our neighbourhoods, our community, outside the walls of this church, inside the, this room right now, and we see death, and we see destruction, and we see poverty, and we see fear, and we see brokenness, and we can see suffering. And we can be, we could become too overwhelming, and we can just ask, how can God be for us if he allows all this to happen? If God's justice is about making all things new, then why does it seem like the old pain and the old trouble is just repeating itself again and again and again? But you see, the truth is, God isn't just sitting back and doing nothing. God sees the pain, sees the evil, sees the suffering. But the difference is, rather than us just seeing it on a surface level, God sees it all the way right down to the root of the problem. And it's that that was nailed to the cross with Jesus. Jesus' death and resurrection was to bring restoration. He brings hope of a new life, a new way, a way back to him, where he is for us and he's continually fighting our corner. And we are called to be God's mechanism to bring in justice to an unjust world. We are called to be God's hands and his feet in pursuit of justice. If you remember that old, was it Audio Adrenaline? Did the song. No one remembers that. No. And some fell on stony ground. Um... <laughs> Go and listen to that as well. When you watch the dog the bounty hunter and listen to audio adrenaline. Um, so what now? What part do we get to play? It's all very well for us to say, um, to look at who God is for, but what about the rest of the world out there? Is, is God against them? Do we get this restorative justice and they just get all the retributive stuff? It'd be so easy when we hear talks like this to still think about this um, good versus bad, this Christian against the world thing. But all we have to do is look at the life of Jesus and see that he broke the separation of Jew and Gentile, of the clean and the unclean. This promise of restoration or the restorative justice is for everyone. Jesus demonstrated restorative justice with the people that he chose to hang out with. Jesus spent a lot of time with those um, sick and stuck in poverty, economical poverty, relational poverty, spiritual poverty, social poverty, people who were hungry and broken. He spent time with, I've got a long list here, I'm thinking about it, there's a huge list, outcasts, disabled, those with mental health problems, the overly religious, the stinking rich, the riffraff, the addicts, the government officials, the prostitutes, the criminals, men, women, children, people who loved him, people who hated him. I guess the question should be, who didn't Jesus hang out with? Who wasn't he present with? It seems to me that Jesus was simply four people, all of them, whether you like it or whether I like them or whether they like themselves. He was just for everyone. It seems that he intentionally went out of his way to spend a lot of time with people on the outskirts of society. He cared deeply for those of the ones who were the least valued by society, the ones who were most taken advantage of. Not because God's kingdom is more for them than anybody else. I think maybe he was just setting the record straight on who he is and what his character is like and what his kingdom is about. 
Jesus came with a message that said, no matter what society says about you or has said about you or what your religion has told you, my kingdom is for everyone. And now as a church, we're meant to carry that message out there. And as I was writing this, you know, it's quite a challenging thing to think about. And I remember Steve um, speaking a while back and just asked the question, who is around our table? And I thought it was good to remind us of that. You know, when we look at who we surround ourselves, are we surrounding ourselves with people who look like us, who do the same things as us? Or are we surrounding ourselves with people who need God's justice and mercy? In Matthew 5.45 it says, He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And I can read this and think, why would he do that? That doesn't seem very fair. Why does he make the sun rise on both the righteous and the unrighteous? And why does he send rain to the righteous and the unrighteous? But he does that because that's just his nature. That's who he is, no matter who we are or what we do in return. So Jesus came to say, no more mercy for us and judgment for them. But instead he says, now I'll give you a new mission. I want you to go and give and love and bless indiscriminately. We've been commissioned to show the world what God is like. And it's very difficult to represent God when we can operate out of this spirit of judgment for people. So, okay, fine. We know we're not supposed to judge people and that we're called to be around people. But what are we supposed to do with them when we're around them? How do we show them justice? Or how do we pursue God's justice when we put these people around us? I guess the best question is, what do they need? That's probably the simplest question that you can ask. If people need love and acceptance, then love and accept them. If people are hungry, then feed them. If people are lonely, then I think the restorative justice of God can be just going and spending time with them, having a cup of tea with them, playing a game with them, just sitting with them. The simple act of looking someone in the eye when you walk past them and saying hello can be restorative in the king, in the, can be restorative justice in God's kingdom. No one wants to be invisible. No one was invisible to Jesus. Even if they were invisible to everybody else, Jesus saw them and he calls us to see people. There are loads of examples of what we could do, and I'm sure you can think of your own. But what we do need to remember is when we choose to operate out of this spirit of judgment, very little, gets, very little good gets done in the world. If we operate that way, then we begin to, begin to question and ask ourselves, who deserves it? How much should I give? Will they use it in the right way? And if you're anything like me with everything else in my life, I like to get a good return on my investment, you know, whether that be you know, anything. And I think we can sometimes apply that to showing justice and compassion and mercy to people. Will they, if I give them this, will they do something right with it? Will they spend it in the right way? Will they spend it on the wrong things? But if we operate in this way, they can just be bogged down in it, bogged down in it. But Jesus gives us a much simpler model to follow. He says, just accept people for where they are, serve them, love them, bless them, and don't worry about whether they deserve it or not. Just do it. The injustices of the world can appear so big, and we can have the knowledge up here but we're just not sure how to move it down to here. 
And sometimes we can look around us, like I said earlier, and we can just see brokenness. And it's easy to ask, where's God in all this? Why isn't he doing anything about, about it? The kingdom of God can feel so dormant to us. And as long as the enemy is at work in the world, there will always be injustice. There'll be hurt and there'll be destruction. That's just the way the enemy works. And yet as long as the spirit of God is at work in us, and we are obedient to the pursuit of God's justice in the world, there is this incredible hope, an incredible restoration, even if we can't see it sometimes. So I've got a picture on the screen. So this is the Atacama Desert in South America. It's one of the driest um, non-polar places in the world. I'll put that in because it never rains at the South Pole. Um, And as you can see, it looks pretty barren. There are some places, some weather stations in this desert that have never recorded a single drop of rain. And we can look at this picture and we can think, how can anything survive there? There's just nothing apart from that car. That was to give it perspective. Um, and it's hard to, yeah, it's hard to believe that any, any, there's any life there at all. But if yeah, every five to seven years, some rain does fall in this desert, in some parts of the desert. And it can be transformed into this. Put the next picture up. And f- for this to happen, all those years where there's no rain, where there's no rainfall at all, there are all these seeds, millions and millions of seeds, sitting in the ground, just waiting to grow. And the reality is, no matter wh- what it may look like in the first picture, life is happening all the time in that desert. All it needs is the right weather conditions for the reality of that life to suddenly come into view. Now, these blooms don't last forever, but once we know they exist, we can't look at the, same, the first picture in the same way again. And what these images can help us remember is that no matter how barren the ground um, around us, life can still be present all of the time, even if we don't see it. So what if we looked at it this way? But our job is that spirit-filled um, people of God is to sow these seeds of justice everywhere. And every now and then, we might be lucky enough to see the reality of what God is doing with these little seeds in people's lives. We may be lucky enough to see one or two bloom. But even if we don't see any bloom, we can still be sure that God is who he says he is and that he's moving powerfully among his people. And he is... His plan is to make everything good and beautiful again. And that we get the blessing of being part of that journey with him and doing that with him. So as we um, look at finishing off off and going into communion, as a church, um, you may have noticed the church logo's got a tagline that says, joining God in the renewal of all things. And we do this through various things at church, with our midweek groups on Sunday, and all of the activities that go on here in the week through a store. Um, if you're involved in that, then you see every, every time you're there, we see the opportunity to see lives transformed and renewed and restored. But just imagine if every follower of Jesus, everyone here, spent the rest of our lives just throwing these restorative seeds of justice everywhere we go. Not just you know, choosing where we put them, but just throwing them everywhere. Reckless abandon, just chucking them out. Not just collecting good ideas in our brain and thinking, how could we make the world a better place? But actually taking these ideas that we have and inviting the Holy Spirit to give us more imagination of what his kingdom is like. 
And if we do that for the rest of our lives, imagine what life it would bring to this desert that we see around us, outside and all around us. So as we share, um, now we're going to come into a time of communion, um, the vision of God's justice is something else that we can celebrate at the table, that despite all of the brokenness, despite all of the injustice that surrounds us, there is a greater kingdom at work in the world, that we are God's mechanism in pursuing that justice in the world, and that we have the ultimate example in following Jesus. So just before we move into a time of communion, um, I was winding Paul up before I started about half an hour of liturgy. It's not half an hour, but there is liturgy. Um, sometimes I wonder why I'm in the vineyard, because actually when we do go to an older Anglican church, I really love liturgy. I love the idea, I just love the idea that someone's thought about the words that are being said and they've just been repeated for hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, so, as Steve's not here... Um, <laughs> I thought, I, I did a bit of a Google search, and I found this, um, this piece of literature. I'm not going to ask anyone to repeat anything back, so it's not, it's not proper. If any Anglicans in here, it's not proper liturgy. But I thought before um, we take communion, I'll read through this, then I'll pray, and then when you feel ready, if you want to come um, up to the table, I think we've got gluten-free juice, not gluten-free juice, gluten-free bread and juice, alcohol. Okay, the gluten-free will be here. Juice and bread. Alcohol and bread, this side. And when you feel ready, maybe you want to come up. Um, and maybe, I'll leave it up to you, but maybe um, just to remember that not only has God reconciled himself with us, but we're also reconciled with each other. Then if you come up with someone, you might, may want to serve one another, just to sort of remember that reconciliation. But you come and do it as you want. We dip the bread if you're new here. We don't drink out the cup, just in case someone's got cold. Just dip it in. When you're, ready to, when you're ready to do it. But I'm just going to read through this and I'll pray and then hopefully we'll play a bit of music and then um, you can come and take communion. So it says, Jesus showed us what a life of mercy and justice looked like. In mercy, he gave food to the hungry. In justice, he broke social customs and shared tables with the powerful and the lowly at once. In mercy, he cared for the sick. In justice, he broke religious customers and healed on the Sabbath. In mercy, he had compassion for the poor. In justice, he spoke out against the empire that held them in poverty. In mercy, he washed his disciples' feet. In justice, he died without protest to expose a corrupt system. On the night he was handed over to the unjust system that killed him, he protested by sharing a meal with his friends. There, he took bread gave thanks for God's mercy in providing it, shared God's mercy by giving it to his friends, and then called them to remember the injustice of his broken body every time they ate bread. After they ate, he took the cup, gave thanks for God's mercy in providing it, shared God's mercy by giving it to his friends, then called them to remember that the, injust the injustice of his spilt blood every time they drank it. But that wasn't all. God's mercy and justice burst forth when Jesus died and his resurrection gives hope to all those who hunger for mercy and thirst for justice. God will always equip those who seek to share mercy and justice. Even death cannot stop God's incredible grace. So we ask the Holy Spirit to be poured out on this meal, on these gifts of mercy, 
bread and wine, that we remember Jesus' ministry of mercy and justice, so that we may, we may show God's mercy and do justice, not just for ourselves, but the, for the transformation of the world. Heavenly Father, may your restorative justice be done in us. May your justice be done through us. May the seeds of, maybe, may the seeds of the justice that we sow take root all around us. And Lord, we ask that you continue to fill us with an awareness of your presence and an understanding of your goodness. And as you fill us, you will move us to be bearers of hope and blessing throughout the whole earth.